Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member D. Sika shares his path starting out as a financial advisor for Merrill Lynch back in 2006 to transitioning twice internally with a critical mentor connection. Learn how he pivoted to Visa, got promoted to director, and eventually helped co-found his own fintech venture capital fund. He also shares one piece of advice he gives to younger folk graduating today to build meaningful connections. Enjoy. All right, David, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. My pleasure. So thanks great, for having me. It'd be great if you could give the listeners a short bio. Yeah, so um, my name is David Sika. I'm a uh, partner at Nika Partners, which is a fintech-focused firm here in New York City. We've, uh, we're currently investing out of our third fund. My background is I started my career at Merrill Lynch in 2000. And six, actually, into a financial advisor training program, mm -hmm. and then broke into uh, an investment banking analyst class where I worked on uh, CMBS origination and securitization. Um, spent some time briefly in emerging market equity research sales covering Russia, Middle East, Africa, and then in 2008, met the uh, the guy that was taking Visa public, uh, Hans mm -hmm. Morris, and was joining as president, and I moved to go work for Visa in uh, in San Francisco, and at that point really got interested in what was happening in the payment space, and payments became a was kind of the early first wave of of what was going going to be happening in fintech, and in late 2013, um, teamed back up with Hans. And he was thinking about starting a starting a fintech focused firm um, to really fill this white space in the market, which you know there were a lot of a lot of talent, a lot of capital entering entering fintech across all of these different product lines. But there were really there was really no firm that specialized in connecting entrepreneurs to the existing financial system. Um, so that's what we set out to build with Nike. Um, you've been doing it for six since. years. Yeah, six years. So you were one of the founding partners. Yeah, I was in the founding team. Great. So let's go all the way back to undergrad. So you kind of you said you joined Merrill um, almost in their in their financial advisory group. Is that correct? Yeah. So was there when you were back in undergrad? Were you always thinking finances for me? This is what I, I know. What I want to do. I know you majored in finance, but what was the 
when was the kind of decision made in that? Was it since you were, is your family in finance? Is there kind of a history there? No, I mean, my, my dad owns a construction, owned a construction company. My mom was a, was a school principal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, I was interested in business, I think from a young age, like growing up in a, in a home where, you know, it was, there was a family business attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I remember my sister telling me, she was like, you know, she encouraged me to go into either finance or accounting. And so I really didn't have, you know, I mean, I'd say a great knowledge of like what, what that path would look like or, or what the different options were and sort of started figuring out while, while I was at school and the, uh, did, you have, one of the did you have internships there while you were in school? Or did you kind of just come into senior year and we're still looking for a full-time gig? Um, no, I worked through all throughout school. I, um, I interned, well, actually during the summers, I would do a combination of, you know, working at my father's construction company, interning at Merrill Lynch. And then during the year I worked, I interned for Senator Corzine for probably three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also sold watches at a, uh, at a store in Washington, D.C. So you were hustling the whole time to help pay for college? Um, no, it wasn't. I, I was, I mean, it was, you know, spending money at school and, you know, I was just interested in different things. And I thought it was a great, it was a great city to be in to, you know, kind of get that experience of learning a little bit about government. And then the watch thing, I guess I sort of fell into. <laughs> But it was so, so were your, your junior summer, how did you end up in the financial advisory side of, of Merrill? How did that kind of whole process take place? Yeah, I mean, I think what I realized early on at, at GW was a non-recruited school. And these, you know, in my, you know, kind of selection of a, you know, my selection of a college, it was, you know, I, I really didn't appreciate how important that was going to be if you wanted a career in finance. And so tell me how you like, and ended up at Merrill. Did you just get an internship junior year? Was it senior year that you kind of started doing the advisory, the financial advisory side or how did, did you get recruited? You know, was it on campus? Did they come or you said there was no on campus presence? No, I, I, um, I actually met a, someone I went to high school with introduced me to their cousin who okay. worked there and I had interned in their group and it was actually a very sophisticated it was a very sophisticated uh group at at merrill and then one of the these two brothers that were on the team sort of split off and asked me to join them upon upon graduation and truthfully i didn't really want to go into um being an fa but i i sort of felt that if i could get my foot in the door at Merrill, um, in New York, it would at least put me in, in a, in a place where I could potentially, you know, transition to another group. So I kind of went in knowing that I had, I didn't want to do that forever. So you knew you didn't want to do forever, but you saw it as kind of a foot in the door because you weren't able to, had you tried to apply to like investment banking internships? I assume that's what you ended up doing, right? Or you ended up at on the CMBS desk? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually leveraged, um, contacts I'd made in Corzine's office to get, you know, to get a whole bunch of interviews. 
had a super day um, that didn't didn't pan out. And do you any advice specifically looking back on those in terms of why you don't think they panned out, or do you feel like it was just too much of an uphill battle and really competitive? Um, I mean, again, this is this is a long time ago when this yeah, happened, but I, you know, my feeling was that I had asked, like I I'd called in a favor and the recruiting you know the on-campus recruiting programs in the super days are you know really such a set channel for how mm-hmm. you know for how folks make their way into it um i don't think it was the best setup you know in terms of like in terms of you know just kind of showing up at the at the super day with you know literally everybody in the room sort of like wondering why you're there like who's this guy <laughs> yeah like how did he get this interview why is he here um got it so you don't feel like you had built up the rapport or the, the, the contacts that it wasn't, it wasn't like a, at least through the rounds you hadn't put in the work. It was kind of more like they, they slotted you in as a favor, but you didn't really have a fair shot in this, in the same way either. I think so. Okay. Yeah. So I hadn't you, met people through the process or right. open relationships. Had you been doing some networking in terms of, so did you know what investment banking was? Cause you said, I, I knew I didn't want to do, FA financial advisory, like long term. So you kind of did you know that target was investment banking in undergrad as like your first, you know, or one of your first jumps out of undergrad, or was it kind of less? Yeah. Was it more uh, murky? To, um, what? I mean, it was it was more on the. I wanted to be on the institutional side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really didn't have many. I really didn't have many many options. You know, I was I was trying to network the best best I could. I was trying to find people who knew people to, you know, get sort of coffee meetings. And I think through that work and through that journey, I, I started putting the pieces together of what each job entails and, Got it. um, you know, so how long, of, and so, so how long are you an FA at Merrill before you're kind of able to make that jump and tell me a little bit about that transition. Was it tricky or it, did it piss off? Your... Yeah, it was incredibly, it was incredibly tricky. So tell me a little the, bit about um, that. Like, how did you even have that conversation with the, your boss in, in FA? Like, oh, sorry, I'm gone after a year or whatever long it was. Well, I didn't. I, um, I ended up, I knew, um, I had a friend, my roommate in college said, he knew what I was trying to do. And he came to me and he said, listen, if there's any chance <laughs> that you're going to pull this off, there's, one person I've met and he was working at Goldman mm-hmm. at the time. He goes, there's one person I've met who's an MD here who would sort of appreciate, would appreciate your story and you should meet him. And so I went, I met with, you know, I met with, I met with this, uh, with this guy and he, I, he wasn't convinced that, you know, I think he was convinced I wanted to not be an FA, but I don't think he was convinced that, I really wanted this job. So he put me through, yeah, he gave me a, you know, a bunch of stuff to read, a bunch of research reports, books, mm-hmm. and said, hey, go take a look, read through all this stuff, work with, work with your friend when you have questions, and then let's, you know, let's meet up in a month and come and revisit this. And I think that went on for about four meetings where, you know, it was, a, it was sort of like a real estate, yeah, he's like, you know, kind of like real estate university, like, you know, you need to demonstrate to me that you really understand what this industry is. At least you've done the research from the outside to like, 
you know, to describe to me that this is what you want. When you say this, you, are you specifically referring to like front office investment banking? Are you referring to like trading, sales and trading or just all of it? Front, being... front office. Yeah. Front office investment banking. So like on the and sales and trading side or, or um, more like. It was just it. on, it was mostly, it was just on, at this point it was just on the real estate side. Real and estate. the, okay. you know, the groups, the groups were organized a little differently. Like at Merrill, we were, we had all of real estate on one floor where you'd have advisory, you'd have our private equity group, which was an LT and funds, CMBS, securitization. And then, you know, that would, that would like closely map to the trading, to the trading function mm-hmm. or the sales and trading function. And so I kept going through these meetings and I kept doing the research and I kept having conversations and it lasted for a few months. And I really, I mean, I'd say towards the end of it, I was, I didn't have much hope um, that this was going to work out, but I, yeah, I figured why, I would see it through. Why do you say that? Just because he he kept kind of forcing you to go back and learn more. He didn't seem convinced. He didn't seem convinced. He seemed he was still a little skeptical. And um, do you think that was because you said something early on about FA not quite being the spot for you, and so he thought that was why, or do you think it was something else? Some of the reason why you couldn't convince him. I think it was probably the former. I think it was like, you know, I think he could believe I didn't want to be an FA, but I don't think he fully believed that I wanted to, you know, be in this, in his, you know, in his industry. Got it. And, um, yes, yeah, so I kept, I kind of kept doing the work and kept uh, going to be with him. And then eventually he, he came, he sends me an email one day with, I think it had about 15 names on it. And he said, here's group heads and MDs. I've given them a call. I've given them sort of the background on, I've given them your background. I've told them about the work we've done and they would be interested in meeting with you. So I called the first person on the list who was at Merrill Lynch and got right into an interview process. Wow. So <laughs> you somehow... So your friend that told you about this MD at Goldman, how did he know that this MD would kind of take you under his wing? Because you became basically a mentee, right? Like you, you, he was your mentor, right? For for how many? Four months? Five months? Or however many? Yeah, it's about that. So why did why did your friend think that your story would resonate with, specifically with this MD? Was he a, an alum from George Washington? Was he just no? I think he was had a you know had a sort of a He's from New Jersey, had a blue collar background, Mm -hmm. um, sort of understood the challenges of like switching from a blue collar to a white collar mindset and world. Fair. And uh, yeah, I just think he's like, he would, he would appreciate that was, Mm -hmm. was, was really what he was getting at. He'd appreciate kind of what you're doing and some of the challenges and could be a, if, you know, if he takes a liking to you, he could be a big supporter of yours. That's great. So you, was that a shock when you got that email with the 15 names? Were you yeah. like super excited? <laughs> I was like <laughs> over the moon. I couldn't, because at that point, I mean, it's one of the things I've also realized in, in, my, in my career is that it's when I'm confident, I'm sort of doing the right work and providing the right inputs. And um, I feel like I'm doing all the right things, but it's just not happening. It's usually at that point 
that something is about to change. Hmm. And I don't think I realized it early on, but like through my experience and having it happen over and over again, it's sort of when you're in that, this is never going to happen phase. Why am I still doing it? It's probably when you're going to, when it's going to, when you have a chance of it happening. So it's kind of like in the back end, right? When you're starting to have some despair and losing hope, that's about what it's going to change. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, like when you start having some, when you start losing some hope, you're kind of in the, you're getting you're at close. the point where you're getting closer. <laughs> Interesting. So you're, you're at Merrill for how long as of FA before this whole transition happens in a year? I was probably there for a year and a half. Year and a half. Okay. So you immediately get into an interview process. And it's process. funny because the, the program I was in was, it was called POA and um, it was a formal sales training program and mm -hmm. it was really hard. Like we would have to, you know, get up in front of a room of 50 people and run through a pitch. And they really taught, um, they really taught people how to, how to, how to work with clients. Mm -hmm. um, was it a little boiler room esque where you're like, sell me this pen no, kind of thing? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah. It was, it was way more sophisticated. It was, it was tough. It was, you know, yeah. describe these complicated products and right. You know, sort of how do you, you know, how do you work with a retail investor to try to help them understand how they could be writing covered calls on their portfolios or, mm -hmm. you know, doing pledging assets to get mortgages. And it was, it was, looking back on it, it was pretty sophisticated stuff and the um but it really it, it came in that training has come in very very handy mm. throughout uh throughout my career in terms of being you know, able to in sell terms of being able to sell and, yeah. and sort of understanding understanding the playbook and the and the and the framework for how you do it fair no i can see the that process I mean I think people under, I think oftentimes when people get stuck in those, whether it's a cold call FA role or it's a heavy sales role, they often, it's often extremely difficult, but it's all, often they look back on it later in their career and say, wow, that was actually really useful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say the same. Yeah. So you're, you're a year and a half in, you get this interview through this, I'll call it the golden email from your, <laughs> from your mentor. Do you feel like if you had emailed any of those 15 people, you would have been in an interview process? Probably. Right. So is there a reason you just started from yeah. the top or did you actually look through all the 15 people before you decided, Hey, I'm going to choose this top one. Um, I've looked through all of them. I, I kind of felt that I was already at Merrill. I, I liked, you know, I liked Merrill quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's why. So was and it also, I mean, at, at that point I was, just assuming there were going to be a whole bunch of no's. So I was like, I'll start at the top and start at the top. Way through. <laughs> Fair. Okay. So you, you started, you got an, into an interview process right away. This is for the CMBS desk. Mm -hmm. And you, was it a tough interview? Was it super easy because you had that recommendation from a higher up? What, what, what was it like? Was it technical? Was it mental math? Do you remember anything about that interview? Um, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't super easy. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say it was as technical as like going into a super day or going into something, mm -hmm. you know, that was, that was really that structured. Um, and it was also at a time where there was, 
you know, the group was doing a tremendous amount of volume and uh, I think they needed, they needed folks to help out. So it was like the right time they were growing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It was, timing, it was, timing was good late, as well. Late 06, early 07, there's, the cracks hadn't kind of started showing yet, right? Um, yep. So you, you get to the desk and how long before you kind of, do you feel like things started to shift in terms of just, I mean, you were there till June, right? So it, tell me like, did you start kind of getting a bad feeling where you hey, I should start looking or what was the whole process from going from Merrill to Visa? Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I mean, I know what from happened. Merrill to? To, to, to Visa? As a, as well, there was another step in there where okay. things were going well. You know, I really loved the group, loved the work. Uh, things were, you know, I couldn't have been happier. And then, you know, it was it was really abrupt where it was. We had a securitization in market that sold, and and then it was just sort of we're done. Like we're not we're not doing another. And Merrill, he was like they gave us our bonus, and then said, and this was kind of ironic, but mm-hmm. I was lumped into the second year analyst. Okay. So they said like you're. Um, because what happened in 1998 is my understanding wasn't around, but you know there was Wall Street had laid off a bunch of a bunch of people that were in recruiting like from recruited schools, and then there was the backlash from the colleges to say, yeah, okay. you know, you're you recruited these people, and then however many months later you laid them off. So I got put into this like protected group at Merrill. Um, yeah where we were being redeployed so it was you don't have any work in your current group um you know you're eligible to go and find other jobs within you know within the um you know within the company Mm -hmm. and hr will be calling you so it's kind of ironic right because now i'm being protected by the analyst class that i like wasn't eligible to go you know to, (laughs) to get into the proper way um and we never got calls from from hr so we started figuring out who other people were around the bank and started figuring out who the hr people were and you know reaching out and having conversations and then realized that you know let's say there's like 70 people that fall into this criteria that are they're in affected areas they're in the analyst program people that were above would have been laid off in this in this moment yep but there were you know, like two front office jobs available right. um, in that mix. The rest were sort of middle office, back office functions. So you basically, the writing was on the wall of like, hey, I'm not going to get one of those two out of the 70 people <laughs> that are looking that are protected. So you started looking elsewhere outside the firm or tell me what was your... No, name? I went and got one of the two. Oh, you did? Okay, so you... Yeah, so I... I, I, I interviewed for this um it was an emerging market equity research sales though okay so tell me about totally that totally different it was super it was uh it was super interesting it was a you know very international group on the trading floor we were working on you know basically doing roadshows for research analysts and and selling equities and you know foreign ipos to u.s institutional investors 
so were you actually helping prepare the reports themselves or were you doing, were you more on the sales side where you're kind of was more on the, more on the sales side, the sales side. Okay. And, and you know, that went, that was also very, very interesting. It was, uh, hours were crazy cause we'd have a morning conference call with all the offices around the world. And we would often also, also be the last off the, off the trading floor at night. Um, but it was, you know, it was pretty, I thought it was fascinating. I thought the, you know, learning about new markets, you're learning about new, you know, new mm-hmm. business names. And, and then one day, and then through like, kind of in, while this process of going for this job was going on, I started interviewing with Visa. Got it. And, and so um, you ended up getting one of the few front office jobs um, mm-hmm. that was available yet you had already kind of started some outside discussions and what, what prompted you to jump? Like what was the final thing of like, Hey, it's well, I got laid off. I mean, I ended up getting laid off from the, from the, the sales desk. What I had negotiated was the real estate group would lend my headcount mm-hmm. to the trading group. And then actually the, the head of the desk didn't know I was being laid off until I called him and said, Hey, I got called to HR. And it turns out what happened was they had further reduced the real estate group I'd come from. Got it. So you were still under technically under that headcount. Yeah. Um, and, and so then, that got reduced. And then I remember calling everybody I knew through everything we just talked about. And the general, the general message was, uh, I can't help at all. I'm pretty sure I'll be laid off at any time and and I had this great opportunity to go to Visa and uh, so I thought it would be a I thought it would be a pretty interesting move at that point. So tell me a little and, bit about but you know you had an interesting opportunity how did that opportunity present itself I mean this is the this is the now the the worst possible time to be looking for a job right? It's the middle of the, yeah, it was, it was, it was so unique. It, um, came in through Merrill's HR and, uh, during the roadshow, Hans had asked, you know, the book runners on the deal that he wanted to, you know, wanted to start a program where, where Visa would hire seven people who were sort of around that, who were sort of around that point in their career to move out to California and create kind of the first, you know, the first wave of, um, yeah, that that junior to mid-level, lower mid-level talent, um, you know, with a finance background. And what specific uh, division? Like, what were you doing specifically for them? Well, the way it worked is we, each person was placed into... Uh, was placed into a different business unit. So there was one person in finance, there was one person in um, marketing, product, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I ended up being the last into that program and the only open seat was in sales. So it was sort of sales and, uh, but in, in Visa's terms, that's kind of managing FI banks as well as managing you know, merchants and acquirers that accept visa. So it was, uh, it was a really interesting way to learn the business because that's where, 
you know, those are the, the two main parties that connect into the visa system. Okay. And so you're, you're there brought into the sales desk as kind of this new program and you eventually get promoted. You know, you're there for, for, you know, from 08 to 2013, right? So almost mm -hmm. five and a half years. And you, as you're going through there, are you getting promoted? What's the, I mean, it's kind of a new program. So what was the, what was the process like and what was the visibility? What was your thought process as you're going through that? Yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, I started to realize like it was a, it was an interesting situation because we were the first, you know, we were sort of coming into this company where most of the people around had been there for 15 or 20 years. And, um, I changed my perspective quite a bit where at that point I had abandoned, you know, ever going back to like a finance role mm -hmm. and became pretty excited about what was going on. And what I liked about the payment industry in 08 is that it was very small. You know, you could, you could walk into, you know, the person's office who was responsible for sort of, you know, building, helping build out the network, helping, helping do these key deals throughout, you know, throughout the last 10 or 20 years that kind of mm -hmm. shaped the, the industry we'd known it at that point. And it was a big industry, right? It was, you know, payments touched many things and um, it was a great company. It had a great culture. So I, I really sort of shifted and went as deep as I could to build out and meet as many people as I could in the industry to learn as much as I could. Uh, and I'd say the one thing I did differently was spend a lot of time with the people who were, who had been at Visa for a long time to understand the history and mm -hmm. to understand like, you know, to, to put things in, in context as to why they, why they were a certain way. And um, yeah, and then I was getting promoted and there were a bunch of reorgs and ultimately helped create this analytics team that was working on global acceptance strategy. So helping make decisions like which country should we, should we focus on when we enter the country, what segments within that country are, you know, are, are top priority. And then mm -hmm. once we choose a segment, what are the, um, what are the key deals we could do, you know, actual commercial agreements that we can put in place to convert cash and check to, electronic payments on the visa system. And that was kind of near the end of your, you, you had kind of almost been promoted to the point where you were almost like an internal consultant data analytics, creating that team. Right. But what would, how did, what was the progression from when you got there in sales, like your day to day versus what it was at the end? Obviously at the end, you're probably managing, managing some people, right? Well, that actually happened early on early. in terms of creating the team. Okay. And then it progressed to being out in front of, actually executing the deals that we, you know, that we were, um, can you give me an example of like a deal that you were executing? Like what, to, like, how would I think about that as, as an answer? Cause I, I didn't know very, I know very little about the payment space or like what goes on at these, at these companies. Yeah. So a common deal I was doing at the end was what had happened was you had the Durban amendment, which put a, put an interchange cap on, on debit transactions. And it was part of Dodd-Frank. Okay. Um, and also had a routing provision where there needed to be multiple options for merchants to route pin transactions on. So when you think, when you open up, when you turn over the back of your debit card and there's like Interlink, Maestro, Shazam, these types of names, mm -hmm. um, you couldn't just have 
Visa and Interlink, which are the same company, or MasterCard and Maestro, which are the same company. So that sort of happened. There was this lawsuit settlement that had been going on in terms of uh, interchange fees that was led by the merchants. And then while this was, yeah, so these were two monumental changes in the industry, mm-hmm. uh, sort of this new regulation as well as the settlement. And then, and then while all this was happening, all these new ideas started popping up. You know, mobile wallets using transaction data to present customers with coupons on their mobile phones. Mm-hmm. And a common deal that I would do would be to engage with a merchant and um, basically put an incentive agreement in place where they would commit, you know, a portion of those transactions because they know how to choice yeah. as to where a transaction could be routed. Um, so I worked on a lot of routing agreements with retailers and then simultaneously, um, you know, getting them to pilot and try new, you know, some of the new ideas that were popping up. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. So, so it was pretty sophisticated because you were, you were, it was pretty tough because you were dealing with um, essentially a client that was, you know, had been part of a class action lawsuit. Mm-hmm. this new regulation and helping them understand, you know, helping them understand how this would be interpreted and what decisions they would have to make. And then ultimately the decision they should make is, you know, working with, with us. Um, and then on top of that, you know, kind of layering in new, you know, new pilots on, on, on new technology at that time, they were very unfamiliar with it. Got it. So tell me why, why leave? It sounds like you're getting promoted. You're doing interesting, challenging, but interesting work um, at Visa. Why kind of go out and start your own thing? Is it it's just the opportunity was too good to pass up? Or tell me a little bit about your partner and kind of the, the discussions that kind of led to, to NYCA. Yeah, I mean, I'd moved back to New York and I'd helped start this, um, this networking group in New York. Mm-hmm. And we were basically hosting these discussion panels and you know, would have a little networking afterwards and it was pretty small. And I started meeting people from all the other companies. So I started meeting people from Amex and MasterCard and mm-hmm. started meeting startups and, um, you know, I, I just, it, it, I guess it sort of clicked for me that there, there really weren't that many people in this industry that were doing what we were doing. And then you're sort of reading, and this is again, my perspective, not, you know, sort of how I got there, not how, how Hans, um, you know, got interested in it, but I was looking at what was going on in the, in the startup world. And I I became, and I'm, you know, I remember looking at Uber and Airbnb and I'm like, that's exactly what we do, right. Where we understand sort of the, you know, all the rules and the, the way a payment transaction flows and how to optimize for lower costs and you know, higher approvals. Um, mm-hmm. And I had, you know, I remember going back and forth and just sort of had this sense that there was a bigger opportunity there and that my group was pretty well positioned. The people that were doing what I was doing at Visa were pretty well positioned to work, to work for these types of companies. And, um, but it took a little while to get there. And, uh, you know, so I just continued, you know, sort of doing my role of visa. I continued doing this networking event. 
and then eventually eventually um you know I was meeting with you know who's the head of the firm now and I was I was describing and he goes I think you should go work for one of those companies so I went and I interviewed at Braintree and at Klarna okay and um so at the time Braintree was doing the card processing for Airbnb and Uber mm -hmm. and I think Stripe had just been started and then Klarna was sort of a point of self-financing based in Sweden Okay. And, um, and then, yeah, that's what I was going to do. So I was going to go into a senior BD, you know, sales role at, um, at Braintree or Klarna. Mm -hmm. And I got very close to going to Klarna and, uh, I was going to move to Sweden. You? I was going to help you? them. What stopped you from doing it? From pulling the Um, I, I felt that the way e-commerce transactions worked in Sweden were just very different from the rest of the world. And uh, the company had been incredibly successful. And, you know, I just got a sense through the process that it was going to be a tough, it was going to be a very tough mission to expand this. My role was going to be expanding mm. uh, acceptance into the UK. It was going to be tough to get and, that, to do that. Yeah. yeah. And I just didn't, and I, I probably would have, I probably would have taken it if, if management recognized how hard it was going to be. If there was sort of this appreciation for, we know this is a tough right. task, but their attitude was more, now we're pretty confident this is going to go, this was going to go, um, you know, this was going to go pretty easily. So it was, uh, so you didn't and yeah, so I ultimately, I got right to the finish line. I was right about the sign and I decided not to. And then a few weeks later, um, I got a phone call from uh, from Hans. He said he was at General Atlantic, and he's looking at a, you know a lot of earlier stage. He'd become interested in earlier stage companies, and said, "I'm thinking about starting this new type of firm. Would you would you be interested in if you're going to move to Sweden? <laughs> uh, if you're definitely going to you know if you're up to doing something you know a little crazy, would you be interested in coming with me to help figure this out?" And I, it was a minute and a half long conversation. I said, yes. Interesting. So was the idea that um, you'd come in and kind of be one of the founding partners? How did, you know, however much you're willing to disclose in terms of like um, the initial fund, you guys, you said you're on your fourth fund right now or fourth fund? Uh, third. Third. So you're in your third fund. And was the initial fund, was it mostly friends and family or um, through you know, your own funds personally, where you had to kind of just scrap it together to get that first fund off the ground or how, how. Well, I think the, the, the idea was that the idea for Nike was that we felt there was white space in the startup market and, and there was a, a need for a, a firm who could help, you know, if you're, if you're building, you know, enterprise software and you want to sell it to banks and mm -hmm. insurance companies, um, there weren't many options at that time for you as an entrepreneur or even for you as a, as a lead investor. So the, the idea was, well, we think there's room for a, a new type of firm. The other idea we had was let's curate our LP base. Um, let's curate our LP base so that, so that we have experts in our, um, 
you know, that are investing their own capital, but can also help the portfolio. So it can also kind of roll their sleeves up and, and, you know, help create value within that portfolio. Was there any sort of, those were were the two ideas, which was like, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, kind of some white space in the market and a new approach to raising a fund where, in order to have that expertise at the at the company, you don't need to keep expanding and hiring more people into the into the general partnership. Got it. So tell me, how has that? I mean, you've been there for now, so you've been running this for six years. How has it evolved? I mean, obviously, you have you're, you're investing out of your third funds, and things have gone well. Um, tell me a little bit about how you know the types of firms you're looking for, and then before we wrap up, I'd love to talk a little bit about any advice you'd give to your younger self. Yeah. Um, no, things are working. Yeah, you know, I think we've built a very unique, uh, unique firm in that, um, you know, we, we really want to work within, you know, within the, within the existing industry. So we think there's a lot of value in, you know, lead investors who are great, great at helping companies scale a venture back company and being a coach to the CEO and, you know, helping recruit you know, early employees and, and, and tech founders. And in FinTech, that's not enough, right? You're gonna need a partner who can help you sell into enterprise, who can help you structure a balance sheet if it's a lending business, who can help you, you know, work with regulators in a, you know, kind of proactive way. And yeah, it's been, it's been an incredible journey and it's working, it's working really well. In our first fund, it was really, could we get could we get access to those great deals we were seeing from the, you know, for, you know, from the sidelines, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, over time it's, well, if we're adding value, can we increase our ownership in deals? And, you know, our third fund's now 211 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's going, it's going really well. I mean, in, in terms of what we look, what we look at are, we cover four themes, 30 sub themes. So pretty much everything within FinTech is, uh, is inbound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then there's, you know, obviously sub themes that are, you know, kind of, you know, sub themes that are, you know, get hotter than others at certain times. And, of course, yeah. um, you know, really looking for where is, you know, where are the most talented teams deciding to spend their time and, and then you know we kind of will evaluate and come in with our with our thesis and see if it if it fits at that point. Perfect. And so before we call the the pod, anything you'd you any advice you'd give to your younger self looking back now, <laughs> coming out of school and you you know you made several small jumps all at Merrill and then kind of quickly got promoted at, at Visa. Any any advice you'd give to your younger self knowing what you know now? Yeah, I would. I'd probably say. Yeah, you know, doing doing some more research and having a better idea at an earlier age of what of what these different industries look like and and what the you know what the what the work what the work entails. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say like when you're to your 18 year old self, but you know I'd say the the other thing too is you know just sort of embracing your strengths and you know kind of 
finding something that fits your skill set and fits your personality. And how how can kids do that? Um, how do how do kids know what their strengths are at eighteen or nineteen? Is is it just kind of, or how do they even find? How do they do this research? And besides the Wall Street Oasis and another Googling, is there other ways? Should they be meeting as many people as possible at that young age? All yeah, right. I think so. I mean, I think, you know, the one, the one advice, the one thing I tell everybody that mm-hmm. ever asked me is, you know, view relationships as, you know, when somebody introduces you to someone or if you meet someone, kind of view that as, as the first meeting for a 30-year relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, take a perspective that you're going to have and maintain relationships long-term. And I think the earlier you can do that, the better it'll suit you. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious when people are transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, there's no secret to it, but it's just, right, that's always the perspective I take in a relationship is this is somebody I'm going to know for the rest of my career. Right. To treat them as such. and you know, handle follow-ups and, you know, find ways to explore whether or not you can work together. So I think that, I think that holds true for even at a younger age. And so kids that are, are are coming to a mentor and they're maybe a little intimidated when speaking to someone like you, how, how should they come across that way? Besides following up, should they follow, is there a certain cadence that you would suggest in terms of them following up with you so that they don't feel like they're bothering you too much? but at the same time they're, they're developing that relationship. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, coming in with a productive, like coming in with an agenda of Mm -hmm. items that they want feedback on or that they're helping that they, that they're thinking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I always like to, even to this day, like in meetings, you know, coming with one to do for myself, right. Cause it's a way where you can demonstrate that, you know, you're, you have the ability to kind of sit in a meeting, drive it to an actionable step and then complete it. Got and it. I think that that's always served me well, right? Like even in a meeting where you're like, I'm not sure what the point of this was <laughs> coming out with something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some sort of task that you can, that you can, you can complete. Great. Well, anything else you'd like to share before we call it? No, that was great. And um, thanks so much for, again, for reaching out. And uh, yeah, David, I appreciate you. you soon. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time.